0: Hi there, this is the Rev. Michael Lowry, Pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. One of my favorite books back in my high school days of the mid-70s was one you might remember, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. I know I read and reread that book at least 20 times, usually with Neil Diamond's movie soundtrack album playing endlessly in the background. I remember those lyrics like it was yesterday. B, as a page that aches for a word that speaks on a theme that is timeless. Hey, I'm still not sure what all that means, but I did love the song. Anyway, Richard Bach's deceptively simple story of the seagull who wanted to learn how to fly higher and faster than any other gull, it was for me an apt parable about how one person, including one kid who always saw himself as shy and terminally gangly, could reach for and attain a dream. For a time in my life, this was a book that meant so much to me. I even remember memorizing entire sections of it for a speech contest my sophomore year. And I know it meant a lot, for a great many people around me in that era, but often for very different reasons than mine. In fact, I remember well that during the one particular summer when that book was doing the rounds amongst friends and neighbors, everyone seemed to have something to say about Jonathan Livingston Seagull. One friend was quick to point out to me that Bach had essentially retold the gospel story, using an outcast Seagull as the Christ figure. While one of our family friends a strong and firmly evangelical Christian woman, saw it as a parable on matters of sin, salvation, and life after death. Another friend, however, who was deeply in the midst of her own wide-ranging faith exploration, claimed that the whole story was steeped in Zen Buddhism. And then, of course, there were more than a few who couldn't understand why any of us would have any kind of interest at all in what amounted to a children's story about a bird and a mangy scavenger bird at that. The most interesting response, however, came from someone we knew in those days who was going through a bitter and sadly very public conflict in her marriage. She said simply, this story is about forgiveness. Looking back on it now, I realized that hearing such a wide array of interpretations actually provided me an early lesson in the dynamics that often accompany Bible study in the church. Indeed, over the years, pastorally and otherwise, I've had many opportunities to engage in sharing and discussion as to the meaning and message of Holy Scripture. I've done it with groups that have been fairly large, and and often it's just been one-on-one conversations. But however it happens, it's never cease to amaze me about how any Bible passage you can name elicits so many diverse interpretations and emotional response. Now, to be sure, some of this arises as a result of religious background and upbringing. I've certainly found that to be true of the UCC congregations I've served, congregations that have been veritable melting pots of church and denominational tradition from Congregational to Roman Catholic to Pentecostal and all the way back again. Also, much of it owes to one's own underlying belief about Scripture, and for that matter, about faith as a whole. The question always becomes, is the Bible the eternal, fundamental, inerrant word of God for this and every generation? Is it a book of ancient myths and philosophies that bear no resemblance to life in the world as we know it, or is it something somewhere in between? I can certainly tell you that some of the more lively conversations I've moderated over the years have involved the rub that sometimes comes between those with more progressive views of scriptural interpretation and others who subscribe to more traditional and evangelical ideas as to the place of the Bible in our daily Christian walk. And let me add here, there's really not anything wrong with those kinds of conversations. In fact, when such discussions happen openly non-judgmentally, and always in Christian love. It might not always reach a common consensus, but could just end up as something spiritually healthy and nurturing for all involved. Mostly, however, I have to say that this kind of passionate diversity of thought has less to do with figuring out what, what to do about what we don't understand about the Bible as it does with processing what we do understand about it. the power of gospel truth, fueled by the movement of God's Holy Spirit that touches the heart in such a wide variety of ways. Like, for instance, the man I knew years ago who discovered within the eloquent words of lamentation that are found in the Psalms that he had permission to release to God all the crippling anger and grief he'd been keeping locked inside of him since the death of his son. Like the woman who had spent Most, if not all of her life, laboring under the false assumption that she was all alone and unloved. That is until she was confronted by the God of Scripture, this God who is relentless in pursuing and protecting those he loves. Or still another who discovered the certainty of forgiveness and the joy that comes with it. All because of that little story about the prodigal son and a father who ran willy-nil across a field to welcome him home. Granted, not every story is as immediate or as dramatic as those, but I can tell you about so many times when God's word got through. It got through in ways that no one ever expected. I suspect that's why Jesus' ministry included so many different ways of teaching, from his often biting interpretations of the law and the prophets to the truths he only divulged in parables though Jesus' hearers might have reacted to what he had to say in a wide variety of ways. Wonder, amazement, disbelief, and in the case of some scribes and Pharisees, even anger. Nonetheless, when Jesus was teaching, there was also this very good and glorious chance that someone would have ears to hear. And that's why whenever I'm sitting around a table with church folk, Bibles open and wrestling together with the text of one scriptural account or another, I tend to lean in close when someone starts to say, well, maybe I'm wrong, and I probably am, but here's what I think it means. Because that's a very good sign that the Spirit is moving and that God might just be at work at that very moment. And that brings us to the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry. I thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.